0: The Holy Gospel is according to St. Luke, the 12th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pour down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The late great comedian George Carlin, in a monologue from several decades ago, has a spot-on critique of our American sensibilities and love of possessions. Stuff, as he calls it. And were it not the, bit, uh, being sp- were not the bit sprinkled with a bit of profanity, as Carlin was known for, I'd play a video of it. Instead, you'll have to settle for me reading a brief passage. Carlin says, you got your stuff with you? I'll bet you do. Guys have stuff in their pockets. Women have stuff in their purses. Stuff is important. You got to take care of your stuff. You got to have a place for your stuff. That's what life is all about, trying to find a place for your stuff. That's all your house is, a place to keep your stuff. If you didn't have so much stuff, you wouldn't need a house. You could just walk around all the time. A house is just a pile of stuff with a cover on it. You can see that when you can see that when you're taking off in an airplane, you look down and see all the little piles of stuff. Everybody's got his pile of stuff. So now you got a household of stuff. And even though you might like your house, you got to move. Got to get a bigger house. Why? Too much stuff. And that means you got to move all your stuff. Or maybe put some of your stuff in storage. Storage. Imagine that. There's a whole industry based on keeping an eye on other people's stuff. Carlin's words ring true for us today. In 2018, storage revenue in the United States alone was $36 billion. $36 billion to store our stuff which in itself sounds like an echo of Jesus' parable of caution 2,000 years ago. Our obsession with security, stuff, and securing our stuff is nothing new. It's deeply ingrained within us. And so this parable, it should make us uncomfortable. It should make us go, huh? Huh? Because if we're not challenged by these words of Jesus, we're not paying attention. The Gospel of Luke, it's full of commentary on wealth that should unsettle us. At the very beginning, when Mary finds out she's bearing the Christ child, she sings that the coming of God through Christ will fill the hungry with good things and send the rich away empty. And Jesus himself will say throughout the gospel, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, and woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. And soon after today's parable, he tells the crowd that you can't serve both God and wealth. And later he'll say it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. Truly, as Paul writes later in the New Testament, in his letter to Timothy, the love of money, of wealth, of our stuff, is the root of all kinds of evil. When the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt long ago, who remembers what they were forced to do? put together. They had to build, right? They had to make bricks and then build stuff. Uh, Do you remember what they were building? Storage facilities. They were building storage facilities that were so large they were cities. And while the managing of seven years of bumper crop in preparation for seven years of famine had brought them to Egypt back in Joseph's time, Now, many years later, the new Pharaoh has forgotten all about Joseph and is in fear of losing his resources to the Israelites. And so he enslaves them. And their forced labor is used to solidify his dominance in the world through the storing up of stuff. Even Solomon, Solomon in all his glory and with all his wealth, sees it well in his old age, all that he's stored up, all the riches he's acquired, all that he has had is, in the end, meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Actually, another way to to hear that verse is to say it's breath. It's like mist. It's vanity. It's, It's only momentary. It's here for a moment, and then it's gone. And he sounds kind of bitter about that. About all that he's toiled for will go to someone else. In the end, it's unsatisfying for him, all this stuff. And that's where the rich fool of today's parable gets it wrong. This man who controls not just one farm, but more likely an entire region. He's big ag. He's not the family farmer. He's been blessed by God with an abundance on the earth. But all he can think about is himself. All he dreams about is his own security. All that concerns him is his own heart, his own soul, his own mind. He puts his trust for the future in his stuff. Because as Carlin says, you got to take care of your stuff. That's what life is about, trying to take care of your stuff. Why do we put so much of our energy, our trust, our identity, or our hope in these things that, by their very nature, will not last? that are like breath, gone in an instant. But his stuff, this rich fool's stuff, it won't last. And the joke of the parable is, neither will he. For his very life is being demanded of him that night. He forgets the second part of the line, eat, drink, and be merry. Yes, but it concludes... For tomorrow we die. If you knew that tonight your life was being demanded of you, what would you do? Would you go look at all your stuff? Would you go count your pennies or open up that storage locker? No. Nobody on their deathbed says, I wish I had spent more time with my stuff. No, no. When our lives are being demanded of us, we spend them in the presence of loved ones, of expressing the love and the gratitude we felt all along, praying the prayers and singing the songs that are central to our experience of the presence of God, dwelling on what has given our lives deepest meaning for our lives we know all too well, are momentary, but they are not meaningless. Indeed, our life has been demanded of us. In baptism, God has claimed us. In baptism, we have already died. We no longer live to ourselves, but our lives are hidden with Christ in God. In these waters, we are freed. We are freed from fear. We are freed from the mentality of scarcity. We are freed from storing up our stuff for ourselves. We are freed from the momentary. And we experience the eternal. In these waters, the God of all creation, the God of abundance, the God of joy, has laid claim to us called us, beloved, and shaped us to care for the life of the world, to bear, to carry with us gratitude and generosity, not only as we put envelopes in the plate on Sunday morning, but in every moment and in every inner action. Theologian Walter Bowman says, now that we have died, we can do more with our lives than preserve them. The response to abundance is not self-preservation, but communal care. For the abundance we have received is a gift from God, a gift for us to steward, to take care of during our time on earth, and throughout our lives to be returned to God by caring for our neighbors. The serving of our neighbor is not a byproduct of our lives. No, it is the central aim. Because in God's eyes, we are not an extra that needs to be accounted for. No, this creation, your life, your very life is the focus of God's love and desire. And God so longs for us to trust first in God's abundance and ability to keep us safe and secure from all alarms. That we would not store up for ourselves what we've been generously been given. For we've done this too long. But we are free. Our future in Christ is set. We need not live in scarcity, but in the riches of the grace of God so we cannot store up our voices for ourselves. And we cannot store up our resources for ourselves. We cannot store up our yearning for justice for ourselves. We have an abundance of voice, so we must speak out against voices of hate, of racism, and fear. We have an abundance of resources, so we must expend ourselves on behalf of those whose lives are spent. We have an abundance of heartache over the pain and the sorrow of this world, so we must not merely be angry at our Facebook feeds, but give of our very lives in ways that bring about change in our congregation and in our community and in our country. This is the stuff that truly matters. This is the stuff that's been given to us. For what God has given you is not meaningless. You are not meaningless. You are not insignificant. You are the very way that God is going to transform this world. Through you, through the moving of the Spirit of Christ in you, in us, in all of us. God is giving to the world, to the brokenhearted, to the poor and the lowly, to the grieving and the sorrowful, abundant life itself. So let us speak. Let us spend. Let us yearn with all the stuff that we've been given, that unity would overcome the vision and hope vanquished despair, that joy might conquer sorrow, and that all would know that the abundance of life destroys the powers of death. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.